Welcome to A Bevy of Bloods, a fan podcast of the Sydney Swans Football Club. My name's Noddy, joined as always by Steve-O. And in this episode number 20, we're going to talk about the game just played against the Giants, a quick VFL update, a few general topics in the AFL, the game ahead against the Dockers, and finish off with all of our tips for the rest of the round. So to all you Signets and Swanlings out there, fluff up your tail feathers and settle in for a potentially biased yarn about all things to do with our beloved Bloods. Last Sunday afternoon on the 18th of July, in front of almost 2,500 people at Metricon Stadium on the Gold Coast, the sixth-place Sydney Swans defeated the 10th-place Greater Western Sydney Giants by 26 points with a final score of 11-6-72 to 15-8-98. Okay, Steve, first impressions, what did you think of that? Oh, wow. It was a strange day, wasn't it? I mean, it was a day that started strangely and it got stranger and stranger and stranger as it went on. I mean, if you'd told me at, what, 35 points down early in the second quarter, we're going to win by 26, I probably would have laughed at you. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it was a 66-point turnaround at one point. It, um, we, we just, you know, went on a rampage. And look, overall, though, a win that was a real credit, I think, to the playing group and everyone who's been keeping them on the field for the last, um, the last month or so that they've been on the road. Um, John Longmire, in particular, has been really widely praised for his efforts in, in the way that he's working with this group of, um, of players. And yeah, it's just a, it's, it's quite a, quite a proud feeling as a Swan supporter, like as an external person, but still to be, you know, supporting a club that's been able to hold itself together like this and do well. Um, it's been great to watch. It's a good feeling. Um, for me, mate, during that first quarter, I was thinking, here we go, trust the, the bloody Giants to ruin our fantastic little run we had. Uh, and I was, I was actually just waiting for them to completely bury us because that's just how bad that first quarter looked. It, it was basically like a training drill. Um, Look, but as you said, to our credit, we fought back into the game to not only draw even, but we pushed them, got past them. And look, honestly, we probably could have or should have buried them, put them away by more than six or so goals. But very, very happy to get that massive turnaround, as you mentioned. Um, Oh, man, that first quarter was tough viewing. I texted you. I think you were like, well played for having sat through that. (laughs) Yeah, look, I cracked it. I mean, we were texting back. I was, I was so frustrated with the way that it had gone pre-game and the players getting pulled at the last minute and all of the mess around that. And then we were just getting pummeled. And it was on in the middle of the day. So I was sort of following it mostly through, um, through, through like looking at the score updates and stuff because it was in the middle of the day here on Sunday. And at one point, I just I had to walk away. I didn't look at the scores for about an hour and I turned it back on. We're up by a couple of goals. I thought, what happened here? You know, it was, um, was unbelievable. It might have been something in your stepping away that got us back in the game, Steve. Yeah, I, hope so. I don't want to say that. Yeah, I don't want you to, to make make that a, a thing where, you know, we start to lose by so much you need to step away. But I remember looking over my missus and I, I was after us, you and I texting, I was like, geez, I, I don't think I've seen Steve this angry. I, don't, I think he's turned the TV <laughs> off. I think he's got, I think he's cracked the shits and walked away. Absolutely, so, yeah, I, I did, man. I, I turned it off for about an hour. Like, no, nope, I can't deal with this. Uh, a lot of the boys on the WhatsApp group were going bananas. I know I was, but uh, <laughs> hey, mate. Anyway, what were your key takeaways from this game? I, I don't know, like somehow this was a more satisfying win than the Eagles or the Dogs games. I mean, there was a real sense in this one about being up against it, and the Giants had the same conditions as we did, to be fair. And they also lost a very, very good player pre-game. Um, but there was this idea of being up against the situation and then, you know, trailing by almost six goals and then standing up against all of that and still playing, playing some really, really exciting footy, I thought was a, was a fantastic effort. And what this means now, this win, and this was one of a handful of sort of danger games that we had marked off between now and the end of the season that we need to finish in the finals. We now look quite settled in the top eight. We're two wins and 15% ahead of ninth, which is um, 
which is great with five games left. And we're an outside chance, the top four, just one win behind Port and just percentage off um, off the Brisbane Lions. But given the fixtures, both Port and the Lions have got fairly easy runs in to the end. So we'll probably need to win five out of five to make the top four, or at the very least four out of five um, and hope for other results. Um, but then even if we do just miss the top four, assuming we'd had a five-game winning run from now, that'll mean to win the flag, that's 12 out of 12 we need to win, which would be a big effort. But, you know, I'm just enjoying the ride at the moment. Honestly, it's been great. 12 from 12 would certainly be one for the ages, wouldn't it? Mm. Uh, Anyway, let's see how we go. Look, for me, in years past, getting off to a bad start like that would usually mean a very long day at the office. But I'm just absolutely loving the trust that we have in our game plan. And, And coupled with our resolve, it was just steely resolve commitment to get back on track and work for each other just was fantastic to watch. Obviously, as you pointed out, Toby Green is a huge out for the Giants. Um, But, I mean, Mills and Cunningham are nothing to sneeze at either. I'd say that we probably had more to lose in that regard on balance. But even with those guys out, the key regular players of Mills and Cunningham, we're showing now that we've got the depth to cover those key outs if required, um, which is a fantastic thing. Um, You know, we fought on and off field forces to pull off arguably our best win of the year. Uh, showing that we're a multidimensional, hardworking team that believes in itself and is absolutely capable of going very deep this year. Touch wood. All right, Steve, I'm going to give a quarter-by-quarter breakdown very quickly. So first quarter um, was the the scary, stressful quarter where the Giants absolutely schooled us. Six goals, one to our one goal, two. Uh, the second quarter, we start to fight back. Um, five goals, two. We won over there, three goals, one. In the third quarter, this was really the big one for us. We scored six goals, two to their zero goals, three. And then in the fourth quarter, we also won that one, three goals, two to their two goals, one. So we only lost that first quarter and then won every other quarter after that, obviously, to be the victor by 26 points as we informed. All right, Steve-O, stats, throw me some numbers, mate. Um, this isn't so much a stat, but more just the importance that a few minutes can make. And so if you think of like just a handful of minutes in the game. So there was about 15 minutes in this match, which was when there was a massive avalanche of goals from both teams and just how quickly a game can turn in a period of time. So in the first, from the first quarter, three minutes into the first quarter, the Swans are up by seven points to nothing. We kicked the first goal, probably kicked a good goal to start the game off. Then after that, the Giants kicked five, nothing to zero, zero. And just six and a half minutes later on the game clock are up by 23 points, 30 points to seven. So that's a massive turnaround in six and a half minutes. That's the first one. And then the second one, which is a run of goals from the Swans. Five minutes left in the second quarter, Jesse Hogan kicks a goal to put the Giants ahead by 34 points. And then from there, the Swans kick six goals, nothing to zero goals, one behind in nine minutes of play to lead by a point. So again, in nine minutes, they've turned around a 34 point margin and they're up by a point, which is pretty amazing, really. And it, it shows just how quick things can change in a game of footy. And, and then the other number, which I found interesting, was time on ground percentage. Two of our players, um, Stevens and Robotham, and also Ronk, who sat as a med sub, um, they played the day before in a scratch match against the Gold Coast. Um, I think Stevens played about half a game, long I said, Robotham played a full game. And in terms of their time on ground in this game, Stevens only played 66% of match time. Robotham only played 46%. So that means that between two players who had to back up and play the day after, we only got 112%, so barely one player, full player worth of game time. So I just wanted to highlight the effort of those two guys to back up and to do a job and to, to help give those guys on the field more of a rotation that they needed. So, yeah, really good job for the two of them. Yeah, um, Stevens looked good early on, made a few um, 
funny decisions throughout. But then I think Rowbottom was quite early and then came home strong. So, yeah, it's funny you sort of said that the two guys were effectively one player there. But, um, yeah, no, that was was a big effort from those guys to back up and, yeah, massive effort under the circumstances. All right, for me, I'm going to look at efficiency just overall. In that first quarter, our if we just look at the kicking efficiency, GWS was 67% to our 50%. In the second quarter, conversely, we flipped it on its head. We were kicking at 65% and uh, the Giants 51%. So we had 47 to 41 inside 50s, but we're way more efficient with it going inside. So we're at 49% to their 41%. That's overall for the whole game. Um, a stat that I picked out uh, about the Giants is that they averaged 35 points a game from clearances, but only managed to score 24 points. So less than 10, sorry, more than 10 less than they normally do. So just like the dogs, we're able to stop them doing from what they, one of their strengths. Um, the, the dogs obviously was uh, forward half turnovers. Um, but what this shows is that we're limiting teams um, from playing their natural strengths. Um, and here's another one since round 14, Sydney have won uncontested possessions by an average of 48 a game, which is the first ranked team since this, like during that time. Uh, and oh, in this yeah. particular game against the Giants, we were plus 31 again. So what this shows to me is that we're beating teams by racking up the pill, getting on the outside, being very efficient by foot, because um, we're usually about 75% plus uh, efficiency by foot by the end of the game, and then making the most of it in front of goals. Uh, conversely, when we're... Uh, defending we're able to apply a heap of tackle pressure force the turnover and then do the same uh going forward uh being efficient in front of goals so it is a fantastic game plan it's a great game style we had a slow start in the first quarter but we really came home strong stuck to our guns it was fantastic all right steve-o favorite moments there might be a few but uh what were yours your favorite moments of the game mate yeah, this was a, a big game for moments, actually, because last week against the Dogs, we only had a couple, even though we had a fantastic win. And and then this game, there's got like, we got a list of about a dozen of them that we were trying to pick through, deciding which ones to talk about. Um, number one for me was Luke Parker's mark and goal. He um, went back after the halftime siren, kicked a set shot to get the margin back under three goals. I think 16 points took it back to. And that, that for me, was a real sort of statement goal by our captain saying, no, nope, this is how we're going to go about this. This is what's going to happen. He never for a second looked like he doubted himself to kick it through, took the mark, went back and then bang and gave a lot of um, a lot of confidence going into halftime that, you know, maybe we can pull this off. And it was just a really, really good moment from a leader of the club that I, I very much enjoyed. I think that was one of the real turning points, or maybe the turning point if you had to identify one in the game. Um, the second one, Sam Wicks, his forward pressure in the forward half. I mean, I talk about his pressure most weeks, and this week I thought I'd give an example that you can find on the tape. If you go to the third quarter, 12 and a half minutes to go on the countdown clock, the Swans are up by seven points. The Giants win a turnover on our half-forward flank on the broadcast side. Wicks uses pressure to sort of corral and, and harass Ward, makes Ward stop getting out of the traffic easily, so Ward is a bit trapped. Wicks slips over, recovers really quickly, gets up again to continue to pressure Ward, eventually forcing Ward into a short handball into Kennedy. Kennedy sees Wicks and realises that he can't go back where he wants to go back into the corridor. He has to go instead back to Haynes in defensive 50. Wicks then pushes back to pressure Haynes and force him wide on the other side. The Giants have got nothing on over there. They've got to play slow. They're eventually forced to kick long down the line and we turn the ball over. 
that little set of efforts lasted about eight seconds. It's it's four efforts over eight seconds. Wicks doesn't even touch a Giants player in that little eight-second bracket, but it shows why his role is so valuable um, because these are the little things that stop the other side playing that they want to play and help get the game on our terms, even when we don't have the ball, even when we're not touching an opposition player. So so that's why I, I really rate the role that Wicks plays in the team, and that was a good example of it, I thought. And then... Well done, we... well done Steve-O. I think... Sorry to cut you off, mate. I think that a few Swans fans have... Um have questioned his his position and role in the team and I think that answers it perfectly so thank you yeah. mate and he does that every week it's just that this week I was able to identify one that was on the camera because often it's it's hard to pick up and stuff especially if you're watching on telly but Wicks he, he does a great job every week um, and he kicked a couple mm. of goals this week too which was fantastic Hmm. Um, and then the last one, I'll be a bit greedy. I'm going to go for three. But but Errol Goulden, I mean, I, I talk about this kid every week almost, how much I, I love the way he plays. And there was a point at the at the beginning of the third quarter, one minute into the third quarter, where Goulden does his beautiful inside kick to Heaney that starts a chain that leads to a Wicks goal. And the commentator said at the time, you know, he can kick an apple off your head. That's how accurate he is. I think Jordan Lewis, the other commentator, even forecast it when he had the ball from the, from the free kick. He's gone, watch for this kid to kick inside. And he did. And he just absolutely pinpointed Heaney. It was a beautiful kick. And the camera angle is behind him. So it actually shows what he had on offer and how difficult it was to hit that kick. Most other players in the AFL, they hit that ball along down the line. Um, not this kid in his, what, 12th or 13th game. He says, no, nope, I'm going to go the the really, really hard inside kick and pick out a player and open up the game. And I think he's amazing. And really, I think he's the best in the draft that I've seen from this year. And we got him pick 32. So, yeah, bargain. You ripper. Awesome. How good is that? I love it. All right, they're, they're great moments, mate. I also am being a little bit uh, selfish here and, and I've chosen about five. <laughs> five? <but> I, uh, <laughs> My first four, my first four or five. Sorry, I've got six here. <laughs> we just keep expanding. Uh, just real quick. So, Juzzy's first goal in the second quarter, absolute mongrel of a kick. I think that's the one that actually that's, that initiated the kickstart of our revival. Um, other than that, Blakey's double bounce from halfback, lace out the buddy, bloody beautiful. Uh, Isaac the Heat Heaney, scorching hot rugby tackle. I don't know who it was on. I think it was on Taranto or Ward or or maybe even. Rune. I, I can't remember, but he absolutely nailed a guy. Uh, Dawson's leg lock tackle on Taranto. I don't know if you remember that. That was bananas. That was great. He got, got caught him holding the ball. Papley's fourth goal in the fourth quarter. Amazing dribbler from the boundary. Surely a goal of the year contender. I think even Papley was surprised with that one. But here is my actual favorite moment of the game, Steve-O, if I may. Yeah. Five minutes. <laughs> I know I'm taking liberties here. Five minutes into the third quarter. The ball enters our defensive 50. Rampy beats his man, gathers and shovels off to Juzzy McInerney, um, I guess, rebounding out of the 50. He's under pressure. He handballs back to McCartan, who handballs back to Rampy. Rampy then uh, assesses his options, slices a beautiful kick into the corridor to Joey Kennedy. Joey Kennedy kicks short again to Parker, further into the corridor. Parker then handballs over to Blakey. He pops the Jets on. The Lizard's off. One bounce. Handballs over to Hewitt who then looks to his left um, opposite side of the broadcast um, from about the circle or within the you know, center, center square and then kicks over to a roaming hickey, just a galloping giraffe running free on the wing. Um, he takes that mark, runs inside 50 steadies and nails it from 40 metres out on the 45-degree angle. And I think that's the goal that puts us one point up. It was. It gets yeah. us up, yeah, yeah. up for the first time of the game. So... I mean, it's a good thing Hickey kicked that goal because Haywood and Amadi were both free inside <laughs> with about 20 minutes, 20 meters out. So I'm very glad it went through. But that play to me was just so amazing to watch because we went from back to front. 
just with class and flair and confidence. And I thought, up the bloods. That was beautiful. You know the one I'm talking about, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's funny. It's that moment too. When you're the player who's running forward with the ball to deliver to the forward line and you look up and you see a player in that amount of space and then they oh, hang on, it's the Ruckman. Do I still kick it to him? And, <laughs> and, um, and you think it's Tom, yeah. the journeyman hickey. That's it. You're like, what do, what do I do? But it's Tom Hickey, so of course you kick it to him and he nails the goal. Beautiful goal. Beautiful left peg on the angle. Just a, oh, man, what a moment. Anyway. All right, so there are our moments. We got a fair few in this week. Thanks, guys, for indulging us. Um, let's move on to the ABOB medal, a bevy of bloods medal, uh, where Steve O and I judge, uh, give our five best swans on the ground using the 5 4 3 2 1 scoring system, with five points being the best. Okay, Steve O, kick us off with yours, mate. Okay, I've got Luke Parker, best on ground, five votes, then Hewitt, Kennedy, Papley, McInerney for one. Oh, beautiful, mate. I've also got uh, Lukey Parker with five. Hewitt with four, Kennedy with three, uh, Juzzy McInerney with two, and I've got King Bud, Buddy Franklin with one to round it out there. So we've got everyone the same apart from uh, Paps and Bud. So why don't we talk about Parker, Hewitt, Kennedy and McInerney, and then we can just very briefly touch on Paps and Bud at the end. Sure. Go for it, mate. Yeah. I mean, I've got Parker, Hewitt and Kennedy in a bit of a cluster together. I mean, they were all fantastic. They they stepped up. In the absence of Callum Mills, who has been our best midfielder all year, the three of them, I think, did a fantastic job to, to make sure that we were still able to control the middle of the ground. Um, and Luke Parker, I mean, he got the five votes from me because not only did he do that, but he was also the one that really led the team. I thought that, I mean, I think this week he got points for leadership from me and from standing up in key moments like that goal that I that I talked about before. That's what I loved about Parker's game. Um, George Hewitt was fantastic. Um, you know, probably any other day he would have been best on ground, but Parker had a slightly better day. Um, 37 pressure acts, which is massive. That was 10 more than the best GWS player and 15 more than the next best one, which was Parker. And he had 30 touches at 90% for a midfielder that's a pretty impressive game that's incredible 30 yeah. at 90 percent yeah I, t- I told you georgie hewitt is a fantastic midfielder yeah he just a- uh oh. Yeah, he's, well he, was, he was runner-up in our best and the fairest a few years ago. Then he had a really bad run with injury, and it's great to see him getting back to to what he can do. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and then and then Kennedy. I mean, on the ground, he had the most contested possessions on the ground with seventeen, the most clearances with ten on the ground. He had a, a very very strong day in there, and he's he's looking like he's. Um, just charging on to the end of the year. And then McInerney, I thought he was really composed at the ball. Um, I especially liked him in the first half. He kicked two really important goals. He was equal second at the Swans for score, for, um, for score involvements. And really, everyone's talking about the rising star. This guy's been nominated. I think he should be in the top couple for sure. He's had a really good year. Yeah, no, that was a fantastic game, wasn't it? 23 disposals at 83%. Uh, you know, just oh, seven marks. He really... When he when when you look at him, he scores those goals, and and you can see it. He's a bit like Bud, like he really gets worked up, and he's like, "Come on, boys!" And you can see it on the, you can see it clearly. You can't always hear it, but it's just it's awesome to see when he's up and about. He's a bit of a barometer, I think. When he's when he's flying, um, I think the the bloods are up and about. But he's he's playing this wonderful role now off this half, off the halfback, really, um, but can run forward and kick goals. He's just uh, he's really running, yeah. He's just running a lot, and it really shows. Um, I don't have much to add to Parker Hewitt Kennedy. I think you've summed it up there pretty well. Um, so why don't we just uh, let? Why, why did you choose Papley over, say, um, Blakey or, or Buddy? I think um, I mean four goals from a small forward and two goal assists. 
um, is is a pretty amazing game, and he's even got like 17 or 18 touches, I think, too. He got a lot of the ball, um, and he's been playing a really, really focal role in the in the front half of the ground, getting a lot of the ball outside the 50, but also penetrating the 50 this week and really hitting the scoreboard. So that was why I had Papley in there for the votes. Yeah, fair play. I was uh, I was going to go with Paps, but I, uh, I I assessed Buddy's game, and I thought it was um, obviously he had a, he was thoroughly beaten in the first half, and that Sam Taylor is a fantastic player and did a very good job on him. But he came good, and, and like all legends of the game do, he stuck stuck to his guns and, and came home strong. And he kicked four goals, two behinds, so he was too short of a, ba- a bag, you could say. But um, he one thing I thought he did well, and this is why I chose him, is he was he was marking quite well. And he does, he's not normally known for that, obviously. Um, uh, he had six marks. Um, five of those were inside 50, and then four of them were contested. So I think that four contested marks shows that he um, he was just on tonight. Oh, sorry, not tonight, when we played. Um, and, and you could tell that his radar was on as well. He was, though he was just kicking them so sweetly. He also got eight score involvements, so it just showed that he was quite busy as well. So that's why I went bud. A um, couple of honourable mentions, mate. Uh, have you got anyone in mind? I had a couple. Actually, Franklin was one of mine, and you've got him in the vote, so I don't have to mention him. Um, Robbie Fox, I thought, had a really, really good game. Um, one of his best games for the year, probably. He was really involved. And um, then Nick Blakey was fantastic. He Like, his ability to break lines, we've talked about it for the last couple of weeks. Oh, and, and he's so just, good. He's really brought an extra um, an extra weapon to our attacking um, our attacking in this in this back part of the season, and we should also mention it was his 50th game. So well done on Blakey for getting the 50 games last week. Um, only 30% of those who play AFL game number one make it to AFL game number 50. So he's already in a very elite group just by getting to 50 and looking good to kick on. And Heaney as well. Like- second half, second half only. First half he was non-existent. Yeah. But second half, Isaac Heaney played really well. I thought too. Yeah, came back into it very well, didn't he? Look. Blakey, the lizard, looked like someone strapped a, a rocket to his back yeah. and he was just screaming through, wasn't he? He just looked, man, it, he just, it's like, I'm so happy that he's found a spot and that he's playing with a bit of confidence again because obviously we all knew what he could do. We just He just needed to find where he, he fit into things and I think they've found a spot for him and it just it's looking good. But uh, one thing uh, we did uh, uh, forget to mention there, Steve-O, is that Lukey Parker was awarded with the Brett Kirk medal, if I'm getting that correctly, and that was his third. So that ties him now uh, in equal first with Kieran Jack and Buddy. And, of course, the Brett Kirk medal is awarded to best on ground in the local Sydney derby between the Giants and the Swans, which is only 21 games old. Um, so there you go. Um, all right, so if there's nothing else to add there, I'll move on. All good with you, mate? Yeah, definitely. Good stuff. All right. We're going to talk about uh, the AFL Fantasy update. So I'm going to give you a quick update on our AFL Fantasy team, a bevy of bloods consisting solely of current swans plus a few ex-swans to help us out with injury cover. In round 18, ABOB scored 1,513 points, which ranked us 61,820th in weekly scores, which was an improvement of 13,500 places, which is awesome. Uh, and leaves us sitting overall at 68,813th, um, which is about a 700-place improvement. So not as awesome, but still doing pretty well. All right, top five uh, scores of the game. Three of the top five high scores of the game were our Swannies. Parker in first, Dawson in fourth. Oh, there's an honourable mention. Dawson had a pretty good game. Um, McInerney in fifth. The high highest-scoring giant was Tim Taranto on 108, which was the second-highest score overall. Our top five Swans were Parker on 117, Dawson on 97, McInerney on 96, Hickey on 96, 
and Lloyd on 96, you guessed it. Um, look, in Millsy's absence, Parks notched up, notched up a solid ton. Uh, it was also very nice to see those three other Swannies on 96. Um, so 96, 96. I kept uh, thinking about the number 96 and took me back to the 96 grand final, which we lost, uh, which you and I were both at though, Steve-O. So um, we, we forgive the ruse because they're so terrible these days and plus also because horses taking us to greener pastures at the moment. But um, <laughs> look, obviously with the late change, I wasn't able to change Mills and Cunningham. So I had to, so we got two zeros for those guys. So that was annoying. Um, and I couldn't change the captain either. Um, so we missed out on double points there. But even though um, uh, Rowie and Stevens were two of our lowest scores, this was totally understandable given that there was their second game in as many days, as we've already mentioned. In terms of trades next week, um, I don't, like, obviously going to hold on to Mills because I think he'll be missing this next game due to quarantine. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, which is very annoying. Um, um, so we'll hold on to him, but he'll just be on the bench. I'm going to try and get Gordon into the team because I haven't been able to get him in since he was since he went off with injury, but he's been playing very, very well, as we know. So I need to get him back in. It might be at the expense of Stevens, who I think might have a few more games in the VFL, um, depending on COVID. So that's the fantasy update. In terms of VFL update, Steve-O, can you fill us in there, mate? Not much going on. The VFL has again been impacted by COVID lockdowns in Victoria. Most of the teams in the VFL are based in Victoria. So this week, our VFL squad played a scratch match against the Gold Coast Reserves team the day before the Swans game. And as we've spoken about, Stevens, Robottom and Ronk all were then backed up for the seniors the next day. Um, the Swans have been saying this week that they're trying to organise another scratch match in Queensland for their players this weekend. As yet, we don't have any news on how the VFL is going to progress. Victoria has um, has gone or has extended their lockdown by, I think, at least another week. So that will keep impacting the VFL. All we know is what we knew before, which was that the season has been reduced to 14 games and they're playing it by year. That's where it's up to. That's it. Fair enough. I guess, given the circumstances, that's probably the best tact. So uh, that that takes us to uh, that brings us to the end of that uh, review section. We're on to segment two now, which is the hot topics in the AFL. We're going to have a quick chat about a few things going on in the footy world in general. Uh, Steve-O, question one: How does the AFL navigate the rest of the season given all these ongoing uncertainties? I guess we could start with a little bit of context, just for for those listening who haven't been following so closely, especially those outside Australia, which is quite a quite a good number of our listeners. Um, the the chaos before the Swans game. So what happened was that a bunch of Swans and Giants players and staff had been at a rugby game in Victoria on the Tuesday prior to the game. That Tuesday, there was like twenty thousand people at the rugby game, and. On that Tuesday, Victoria still had no COVID lockdowns or anything. By Thursday, they did, and then the Swans were forced to flee to Queensland um, with the Giants and play the game up there. They'd been planning to play in Ballarat. They ended up playing in um, in the Gold Coast. So what happened was that some of these players and staff from the Giants and the Swans were in a stadium that at the time of going into the game had not been classified as a high-risk area, but then the area that they were sitting in was reclassified on the day of the game, which then forced some of those players into quarantine. So that's why we lost all the players and staff um, 
so that's the context of this particular flare-up, but it's it's not just the swans, it's everywhere. So um, so Dunkley from the Bulldogs is in a similar situation. He had a coffee or had a breakfast or whatever at his local cafe, which has now been reclassified as a high-risk venue. He's in quarantine. Um, Marshall from the Saints was caught up. He, he went out to a bar after the rugby game and has been caught up in this back quarantine. Oddly enough, both those guys played on the weekend but are now in quarantine, which is a bit strange. Um was that because their games occurred before the reclassification? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, lucky. Very yeah. lucky. So so exactly. So if the reclassification of the rugby venue had occurred on Sunday night after the Swans-Giants game, they all would have played and they would have gone into quarantine that night. But as it is, the Swans and Giants are all in, these players and staff are all in quarantine for 14 days, backdated to the Tuesday game last week. So that means that a week from now they'll come out. So they'll miss this weekend and they should be able to play. The week after that. So, that, so this has been going on. And this this is just the tip of the iceberg. It gets messier and messier. Adelaide has now been forced to go to um, to Melbourne. Both the Adelaide teams, Port and Adelaide, were supposed to play in Adelaide this week. They are not because Adelaide now has, or South Australia now has a, a lockdown in, in their area. So those Adelaide teams today were going backwards and forwards. First, they thought they were going to go to Queensland. Then they were going to stay home and play a showdown and change some fixtures. And now they're in Melbourne. So it's, it's a mess. It's it's an absolute mess. Bobby Hill from the Giants has gone back to Sydney to be with his pregnant partner. So it's starting to have an effect on, on players. The, the New South Wales team has been on the road for about a month now. Um, and then there's the big question, which no one really wants to answer, is what happens if a player tests positive? So this is the scenario. Well, this well that happened last year with... Oh, no, well, he, it ended up being negative, didn't it? Conor McKenna, um, the Irishman. So, but it was certainly... Um, I guess we're a year older now and we should, you, you would think we, we're, we're better at this, but I don't, I don't think we are. We're, it seems like, uh, yeah, we're, it seems like it's all falling in a bit of a heap, doesn't it? Yeah, and the thing that um, that makes it difficult is that the AFL is, is trying to, to manage a competition across um, five of the six states in Australia and, and also play where there are teams based and also playing games in both territories and also in Tasmania. So all states and territories are places where the AFL is involved and every state and territory has different rules and different willingness to let people travel and play in front of audiences and not in front of audiences or crowd, I should say audience. That's such a, a not, um, what's, what do you call it? It's not, a, not footy. Not a footy it's, word. It's a crowd. You play in front of a crowd. crowd yeah. Crowd spectators. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, so, so it's, it's really tough. And the AFL is trying to scramble together the remainder of the season and so far, they've got all of their juggling balls in the air, but there's a real fear that if one of them drops, they all go flying. Yeah, right. Okay. Just just a quick shout out to the Wallabies for congratulations to the Wallabies for for beating France in that last game up there in Suncorp. Uh, I actually watched that one. It's been a while since I watched a rugby game, but that was a, a gutsy win. They had a red red card in the first five minutes, and so they were down a man the whole game, and then came back to win by three. <laughs> So uh, that's about as much rugby as you'll get out of me, this uh, ex-rusted on rugby supporter. But um, yeah, and who was it? Titus O'Reilly, the um, the um, the he's like a sort of a like a, a journalist commentator. Titus O'Reilly in 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 Melbourne, he's um he referred to the game at Amy Park on Tuesday, the one that's put all of this mess into the AFL, as the biggest threat rugby union has presented to the AFL since the early two thousands. Which was his assessment of the, of the situation. That's about right. That's about right. So thanks, Titus, for that one. We love your work, mate. You're, you're, you're a good friend of the show. So, um, so, so this. So is, what are the, what, are, what yeah. are the options? What what happens, Steve? Like, what 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 is the AFL going to do? What can we do? I guess option A, which is already underway, is um, more restrictions on player movement and activities. It's it's very very 
um, it's become very much incumbent on the players and the clubs to be very careful about their movement so that they're not in any sort of high-risk activities. And we need to remember that what they did, what these players went to this game on Tuesday, at that point, Victoria didn't have any any worry about COVID. Um, it all came more or less overnight, and then by Thursday, everything had exploded. So when they went to that game on Tuesday, they were just doing what anyone else in, in Melbourne was able to do, which was to go to watch a, a sports game, you know? Um, yeah. so, so, you know, players are probably going to have to have additional and they already are they've got they call them like supplementary protocols or something but um but yeah so additional rules on players and what they can and can't do to keep the season going the next thing pause the season is one option the swans and the giants are both in favor of this um because they've been so disrupted pause the season the fear with that is that what if it gets worse and then how do you get it back going again once you've stopped i think that's the fear behind not pursuing that one um and then the final option that's been talked about is moving teams out of the problem states. So, um, and by problem states, I mean both both COVID exposure and then also states where there's real difficulty getting teams across borders and, and also in and out of quarantine, et cetera, to play games. So the suggestion that has been floated would actually be to play the remainder of the home and away season, at least in Victoria, because even though Victoria is in a full lockdown, they have cooperation of government so they'll be able to get games and training and stuff. Because the reason Adelaide mm. had to lead, the Adelaide and Port teams had to lead South Australia was because they got told that they weren't allowed to train until Friday. And they said, well, we can't. That's, not- that's madness. That's yeah. so weird. I can't believe that. Didn't you say there were only like five cases or something in South Australia? Yeah, I think, I think it's five, five it current might, cases. might be 13. There's a gone up. I read something yeah. this morning. Yeah, it's not, it's not massive. But yeah, the uh, South Australian government tends to... Yeah, it's one of those governments that seems to jump. Yeah, they're, they're quite trigger trigger happy, very trigger, trigger happy. happy. Um, yeah. So that's 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 why they had to leave. And then the reason they couldn't go this was the this was the additional layer was that the reason the South Australian teams couldn't go to Queensland was because Port can't go there because they've been in Victoria within the last fourteen days, and Adelaide couldn't go there because there's no team to play there because everyone else is playing each other. So. Um, so that's why they couldn't go to Queensland. So now they're in Melbourne. Then they're going to play in empty stadiums in Marvel, both of them. So that's that's where we're up to. So we just we just fingers crossed, you know, that that something at least gets finished. And then once the home and away season finishes, um, however they get that out, whether it's you know the current um, ad hoc mess or whether they have a like a four week Victorian hub or something, then for the finals, what do we do? Because Games in Victoria are going to be in front of empty stadiums or at the very least minimal crowd stadiums. The one state that probably can provide um, good attendances and and very low COVID numbers is Western Australia. So there's been a suggestion that maybe Western Australia hosts the finals. I don't know. That's that's one option that's in the air. Why not? It's a good it's a good stadium, Optus Stadium. We all know the Swannies like to um, kick some goals at Optus, so I'd uh, I'd be in favour of that one. So. Um... Yeah, look, I just I hope the season can continue. That's my main concern. But um, fingers crossed, I guess. Let's yeah. hope it all. Works and I think it will. Out. I think that I mean the worst case scenario at the moment seems to be that they bring all eighteen teams to Victoria. That's what they were talking. Jared Wheatley was talking about this today on his show um, that they bring all eighteen teams to Victoria to finish out the home and away season because they will get cooperation from government on making that happen. So makes sense. There's, there's that, and and honestly, I think why wait is my personal opinion. Just just do it. It's four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, mate. Uh, just whatever you, whatever they need to do to make sure that they can guarantee that the, the season finishes. Cause we've come too far last year. It, it got cut quite early on in the season. 
And mm. so if you if they ended up panning it, you say, oh, well, we didn't get through more than half of the season. But round 18, we're in too deep. You know, we, I think everyone wants to <laughs> see we, we, we want to finish this through. So Yeah, um, and the yeah, Swans are good crossed. this year. I was quite happy to can it last year when we was terrible. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I want to keep watching us play well. This is purely selfish motivations, of course, but, um, but I want to keep watching the Swannies do what they're doing. It's well placed, uh, uh, selfish motivations. So <laughs> I'm, I, I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah. Hey, um, just for the sake of time, let's move on to the next question. Sure. Um, recently, the Demons blew a massive chance to go further in front by drawing the game against the Hawks. So a bit of a, a debate has gone on in footy circles this week. Should we have draws in the AFL or get a winner for each game? So, Steve, what are your thoughts on this, mate? Uh, my, my opinion is that does it even matter? I, I did some checking of how many draws there have been in the history of VFL, AFL. And since 1897, the first draw, which was Fitzroy versus South Melbourne, interestingly enough. Oh, there you go, South. Yep. yep. Okay, we, um, we, we got a got a draw. I don't know who came back or who didn't in the game, but there's been 162 draws in 125 seasons. So that's roughly 1.3 per season. And in the past 10 seasons, so if we want to look at just the last, you know, recent history... We've had 13 in the past 10 years. Again, 1.3. So we're looking at one, like like barely over one a year out of 170, 80, 90 games, whatever it is. So it doesn't even matter. The Swans' last draw was 2013 against Fremantle. And since moving to Sydney in 1982, we've had eight draws. So I don't even see it as a problem. I just think leave it. I, I, don't, I don't think it doesn't. It's such a, a rare occurrence that it's not even worth stressing about. And I kind of like the the quirk of having the draw and the two points on the ladder. I, I kind of enjoy that, to be honest. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I like that. Um, when it comes to finals, though, now, uh, say grand final, if it's drawn, they, they play extra time now. That's correct? Yeah, all finals do, yeah. They, um, and they, yeah. they don't replay the grand final anymore after the last one in, what, 20... The St. Kilda Collingwood one, whenever that was, 20, yeah. 2010. I think they, that's the last replay. There'll be no more grand final replays. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, yeah, I'm with you, mate. And thank you for doing that research. Um, it, it just goes to show, if you look at the numbers... You can uh, deduce anything from almost anything. And as Steve has done here, it's get on with it, guys. It's only one draw a year. Is yeah, that, like so. who cares? There's one of the other suggestions that got thrown around. I forget who it was. It's been a few places. They talked about, I mean, people are watching the Euro football, I think, and they've got ideas in their heads. They're talking about having like penalty shots and stuff, like like goal kicking competitions to break a tie at the end of the game. Give me a break. Just have a draw. Who cares? Get, get Tommy Tommy Papley on the boundary or any anywhere in front of goal. Um, yeah, he kicked, kicked a few soccer goals uh, against the Giants, didn't he? I think he was it at least two of his four were off the ground, weren't they? Yeah, Maybe you did. Three. Yeah, two of get, the four. Yeah. What I would love if you could get all of your um, like say all your staff. I'd like to see John Longmire take a penalty shot in a in a sudden death shootout to decide a game. Mate, he'd nail it. He'd nail it from 65. absolutely. <laughs> anyway. Awesome. All, all right, mate. Well, let, let's move on to the next section. Um, so we are up to the round ahead preview now. In this last segment, we're going to preview the most important game of the next round, and that is, of course, the Swannies next game. After that, we'll finish off with all of our tips for the rest of the round. So currently, as it stands, game six of round 19 is a quote-unquote home game for the still sixth-place Bloods, taking place this Sunday, the 25th of July at Metricon Stadium, on the Gold Coast against the 10th-placed Fremantle Dockers with first bounce at 12.30pm local time. (sighs) So, fingers crossed it goes ahead. Uh, Steve-O, have you got anything to add to this? You said six, right? I checked it. We've been sixth since round eight. So, we're nothing if not consistent. 
I also checked this because I, I I was sure that I've called the the still sixth place Bloods against the ten. We've played as sixth. We've played a, a tenth place team at least three or four times this year. Yeah, right. In in fact, the the last the game against the the first game that we played against the Dockers early this year, we'll talk about in a moment. That was us as sixth and them as tenth. So this <laughs> wow. is basically a, re, a repeat, um, except this game should have been at the at the SCG. Um, rather than on the Gold Coast. So anyway, right. Uh, injury status and team changes. How do we pull up after the Giants, mate? What changes might we be looking at? Pretty good, actually. We pulled up nicely. We haven't got any new injuries to speak of. And besides our um, our quarantine players, which is Mills, Cunningham, O'Reardon and Sinclair, and, and they're all players who've played senior footy this year, so they're significant um, players to have missing, um, especially Mills and Cunningham. But um, but also the others as depth players, which we might be needing given how long we've been on the road. Um, we actually have a very short injury list. So there's those four in quarantine for another week. They'll miss one more game. And our injury list is just um, uh, Naismith with his ACL. He's out indefinitely. And Chad Warner with a shin, one week he's listed. And Melican Achilles listed as a test. So we're looking pretty healthy. Um, Campbell played in the, in the scratch match against the Gold Coast last weekend. And Warner is said to be close to a return. Sam Reed also played again in that scratch match, got a bit more match fitness into him. So health-wise, we're looking pretty good. That's that's amazing. Three players and two of them are basically ready to go. That's maybe the best injury list in the league. I'd have to double-check that. But yeah, wowzers, good stuff. Yeah. So, um, we'll, I, so three weeks in a row, with three wins in a row, do we tinker? Do we just keep on rolling? Is there anyone that you would force... There's no force changes through injury, as, as you said, but in terms of form, who would you think might need it, might be, uh, or, or could be worried about losing their spot? Oh, the two for me is Bell and, and, um, and Amadi. They'd be the ones that I reckon that if there wasn't this pressure on the list, then they'd probably be due for a rotation by now. So probably... Um, yeah, I mean, if we had Cunningham and Mills available and even even O'Reardon and Sinclair, then maybe those guys would lose their spot. I think probably there's not anyone else to bring in. The other problem we have at the moment is that most of the fitness staff apparently are part of that quarantine group. So mm. just just keeping the the team going because those fitness staff are so important through the week and, and over the weekend that um, not having their expertise like hands-on, having to do everything probably through Zoom and text messages and phone calls and whatever, I think is probably an impact on the group. But I, I don't see them making any changes because who would you bring in? I'm not sure he'd, he'd give a game to. Well, yeah, I mean, so obviously Rowie, Stevens and Ronker in the mix there, maybe for Bell. Um, and then Amati, obviously you've got McLean, McDonald and Reed, but it just depends how far away Reed is. Um, and you're probably not going to bring in McDonald. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe you just keep on rolling with it just if it's yeah. not broken. Yeah, because like, yeah, like Robotham and Stevens, they'll play because they played and they'll play again. I mean, we don't have. Oh, of course, of course, they'll play yeah, again because they, they came the in. Brought in. Yeah, yeah, and then right, may, yeah, right. maybe like you said, yeah. maybe maybe Ronk to give Bell Ronk, a rest. Like he, yeah. he did look like for the last couple of weeks. I think both him and Amadi have looked like they could probably use a rest. But um, yeah, yeah, maybe McLean in for Amadi. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if Campbell is, if he is fit then he could be a sneaky in. Yeah, if he's if he's good to go for sure. And yeah, um, yeah I mean if we'll he's fit, and Warner's still that week still a week away, yeah? Apparently, yeah. He's still got a Yeah. At least according to the injury lists that got put out today. That's, mm, that's exciting. 
Yeah. It's exciting so, yeah, with all these players. Yeah. It's not get to this point of the year when you've got almost a full squad to, to pick from. And and good news too, which I think will be a bit of an emotional boost. Um, I saw Papley interviewed today um, and he said that, um, that the families have been given approval. It was announced actually like officially that the families, the Queensland government has given approval for the players' families and, and um, partners and, and whatever to come in. Um, so they'll do 14 days quarantine in Queensland, which means in 14 days they can reunite. So hopefully something like that gives a bit of a boost to the playing group too, who've been away for a while. And I think some of them have been struggling a bit, missing home and that. So um, so fingers crossed that gives them a bit of a, a positive feeling going into the weekend. Yeah, that'd be great. That's, I think they definitely need that as well. Obviously, they've kept it together well um, by winning, but you, you, know, you can only go so far and family is the thing that really, um, you know, family first, as they say. So, um, yeah, hopefully that, that, that brings it all together and, and keeps the show rolling. In terms of Frio, mate, um, so Lob has done an ankle and was subbed out, so he's not looking likely to play. Sean Darcy has had a stellar year breakout year as uh, key Ruckman for them. He did his knee, so I think they're they're watching to see how it pulls up, uh, whether he's going to be called. Both listed as injured anyway um, after their game last week against the Cats. Um, Lobb seems worse than Darcy, but they've got another young Ruckman, Lloyd Meek, who's likely to come in for um, one or both of those guys. Um, I think Tabana might be still be out, and Tracy may be – did he get a week? I think that he did something wrong and then was potentially out for a week. So looking a bit short there. But nevertheless, Hayden Young, who I, I think is a fantastic uh, young player, um, set to return from injury. Uh, oh, there you go. So Tabana, yep, is a chance to return from a calf injury. My apologies. So that's how the Dockers are looking. Um, in terms of our Swannies, who do we see flying high and why? For me this week, it's Errol Goulden. He's been back four weeks now. And that's roughly when you, you'd be hoping to be getting back to peak form after a, a long layoff. And his layoff was quite long. It was almost a couple of months, I think. And I'd really like to see him have a strong impact on the game. He's been playing really, really well. But, you know, have one of those games where he really, really stands out. You know, some really nice kicks inside of 50, maybe even sneak a goal or two. He's the one that I'll be hoping for to really, really bust out this week. Well, there you go, Steve-O. Uh, Errol, if you're listening, um, we're honoured that you are. And we're not um <laughs> We don't think that you probably are, but we we both love you and, and have a good game. <laughs> Steve-O has is, is, is definitely called you out there. Uh, last week, I called out Cunningham on Toby Green. Uh, so I'm two for <laughs> two there. Uh, both of those players didn't play, obviously. So I had a bit of a shocker last week, uh, but who could have seen that one coming? I also had Buddy to kick five and win his fourth Brett Kirk medal. He kicked four and Parker won that. So I was just off on that one. This week, I think Hewitt is going to have another big week. So um, with Mills forced out again, uh, it's his week again to shine and show everyone just what he can do as, a, as that inside midfielder. So big week for Georgie Hewitt for me. All right, in terms of opposition danger players, which uh, Dockers do we need to be wary of and why? Oh, for me, it's always Nat Fife when it's free metal. He's, he's an amazing player and he's playing with a bad shoulder now. I mean, he certainly seems to be playing injured, but he's still a great player. And I think if we can limit the amount of ball that he wins and the impact that he, um, that he has when he gets it, then that's already a big win for us. Yeah, definitely. He's, um, he's just one of those players, isn't he? He's he's an absolute gun. Um, Right. For me, mate, I think uh, I mentioned earlier, Sean Darcy, um, absolute breakout year. I've got him in a bunch of fantasy teams. He is a fantastic player. If he doesn't play. So if he does play, that's the guy I think we need to be careful of because he's, 
he's great uh, in the tap. He's, he can float back, float forward. He's just he's, he's he's actually quite mobile. You don't think it because he's a big big lump, but um, yeah, he's he's just having a really good year. So if he's out, then for me, um, or as well as well as him anyway, it's those three young midfielders they have: Brayshaw, Chera, and Sarong or Sarah. I'm not sure uh, how it's pronounced, but. Um, you, you could say they're still technically learning the ropes off, off the likes of Mundy, Fife and Walters. But, I mean, already Brayshaw's, uh, you know, showing a lot. So is Chera and Sarong is, is adding strings to his bow in, in tagging. So these are the three guys for me that we need to, um, to keep an, an eye on. I wonder who are going to be the, the targets on that whiteboard at quarter time. Um, I had a quick look in the, the Giants game and it was a, I lost the angle, but I could see that Jacob Hopper was at the top there. Um, I don't know. Did you see that, Steve? During the, no, the broadcast, I didn't because when I watched the replay, they already chop out. Like, they they cut out the bits in between the quarters, so you only see like siren to siren. So I didn't see those bits. Ah, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we'll keep our eye open uh, for that next time. But all right, in terms of winning formula, mate, what do we need to do to get the win this week? Look, I think this is another very dangerous game. Um, they're just out of the eight on percentage, so they've got everything to play for right now. Um, you know, they can make the finals and they want to. But um, but I think after us, they play Richmond, Brisbane, West Coast and St Kilda. So if they don't beat us, then their finals chances look bad. So they really need to be putting everything on the line. And so I think that we're going to need another really big midfield effort from, you know, Parker, Kennedy, Hewitt, because they really drove that last win to give us enough ball to feed out to our runners so we can pick them apart with our running game. Yeah, okay. Well, depending on, on how tall they go, and obviously that's going to be... Um, subject to those those injuries, Lob, Darcy, and whether or not Tabernet does make it back and whether or not Tracy um, has a week off for whatever he, he was supposed to have done. If they're lacking height, then I would say that all they could probably do is aim to bring the ball forward with uh, you know some dirty ball, like ground, ground ball. So our backs obviously need to just be wary of that um, different entry method. Um, otherwise, stifle those mids that I mentioned. Uh, secure the clearance advantage and then roll forward as we have been doing. But yeah, I think it's going to be a tricky game as well. Um, uh, so that's a good segue actually to recent form and previous meetings. So uh, talk a little bit about that. Obviously, our Swannies are 11 wins from six losses, uh, 11 wins and six losses sitting at sixth. Uh, the Dockers are eight wins and nine losses sitting at 10th. Since our buy, we're three wins, one loss. Um, all top eight teams, basically, including the Giants in that, they've just dropped out. Um, so we're now on a three-game winning streak. How good does that feel? Since round 15, the Dockers are two wins, two losses. Uh, their two wins have been Collingwood and Hawthorne, so bottom eight, uh, sorry, bottom 10. And then their two losses have been Carlton and Geelong, so 50-50 there in terms of top eight, bottom 10. The Swans have lost the past three games against the Dockers, most recently this year uh, in round 10, where the Dockers beat us by two at Optus. Uh, but we won the two games prior to that at the SCG. Um, so it makes us two from the last five. Our last victory against the Dockers was in 2018, round nine, at the SCG by 59 points. Buddy and Joey kicked three goals each. Uh, Tom McCutton was still a forward then who kicked two, two goals one. Wow, yeah. uh, f- funny to think of it like that. Uh, but a completely different team because we still had Maka, uh, Hannes, Zaka, Keza, Gaza, Reg, and Nick Smith still playing. So, of course, that's McVeigh, Hannibury, Zach Jones, Kieran Jack, Gary Rowan, um, Heath Grundy, and Nick Smith. Nick Smith, legend. Woo! Um, so, completely different team. So, that was the last time we won. So, certainly not an easy team to play against for us. 
Um, in terms of the Dockers, apart from uh, the win against us, all their wins have been against bottom 10 teams. Um, in terms of the, the types of game that the Swans and the Dockers play, uh, if we look at tackles, Sydney are coming second in the league for tackles. Frio is seven, 17th. Uh, in terms of inside 50 tackles, again, Swannies are third. Frio's are 18th. Um, in terms of goals, uh, our Swannies are fourth. We're kicking about 12.8 a goal. Frio are 12th, kicking 10.5. And then when it comes to behinds, much has been spoken about Frio and their behinds this year. Um, Sydney are 10th, uh, kicking 10.6 behinds a game. And Frio are second, kicking 12.6 behind a game. So uh, with all of this in mind, Steve-O, who are you tipping? I think the Swans, I mean, Fremantle were a disaster last week against um, Geelong. Cats, yeah. Yeah, they were terrible. But I can't imagine them being that awful two weeks in a row, even though they're going to be on the road in Queensland. But still, I think that the Swans... You'd have to say, bare minimum, they're going to kick more than three goals. They kicked three goals 13 last week. That might have been their worst performance. So I actually went through and highlighted all the games um, where they kicked more behinds uh, than goals uh, and then ended up losing. So it was only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games. So, well, that's all of them. All of their, all of their losses, they've, they've kicked more behinds than goals. So, yeah. yeah you, so what I mean to say is you can't like, – surely they can't have as bad a game two weeks in a row. So they'll be, they'll be up and about, I think. So we need to be careful. But I'm going to pick the Swans as well. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. a, it's a deceptive stat. This Fremantle stat with the behinds has been spoken about so much this year. But if you I – mean, we talked about this on a previous episode. If you actually look back, even if they'd kicked – accurately they still would have lost most of those games because they were just so bad like against Geelong even if they kick 16 straight I think they still would have probably just lost or only maybe just one or something so yeah when they're getting belted they're getting thrashed mm. well it was a tight game earlier this year so um, and if you look at um, previous encounters it is usually pretty tight um, yeah two points 31-1 yeah it's a bit hard to draw a trend anyway I think it's going to be a tough game but I'm going to pick the Swannies Nice one. And that's you are as well. All right. So, Steve-O, um, as we know, a group of swans is called a bevy. Um, we've already touched on what the dockers are called. Um, what did we call them last time? We went with a gang of dockers. That was like like dock workers. We went with a gang of dockers last time in round oh, two. Oh, yeah. Yep, so, so this week, um, trying to keep it contemporary or current, Fremantle absolutely need to win to keep their season on track. So this week, I thought they're probably a desperation of Dockers because they're going to be absolutely desperate for the win. And and then if they don't get the win, they're going to be a disappointment of Dockers because they're probably not going to make finals and everyone was expecting them to probably be better than that this year. Yeah, I was. I was expecting them to have a real good crack this year, but um, they, they still could um, and they could start this week. So hopefully it's not against us, but yeah, I like that. So desperation of Dockers or a disappointment should they not get the job done. Good stuff, Steve-O. Our resident wordsmith and alliteration <laughs> guru. <laughs> well played. All right, mate, we're going to finish off with all of our tips for the rest of the round. So I'll just kick things off here. Game one, and again, uh, this is at currently, this is the information we have. So if we get it wrong, it's because there's a there's been a late change or um, we, we've missed out on some rolling information. Uh, game one, Fourth-placed uh, Power versus 15th-placed Magpies at Marvel on Friday night. I'm picking the Power. 
Yep, power. And and a big big um congratulations. Travis Bokes playing three hundred games in that one. So well done to him. That's awesome. I think they're three youngsters. Their young guns are looking likely to come back in. Butters, Dersma, and Rosie. So what an occasion for them. Bokey, what a legend. Um, all right, game two, 13th place Blues versus 18th place Kangaroos at Marvel Saturday Arvo. I'm picking the Blues. Yeah, me too. They're the talk of the town, right? If you if you listen to some of the um the the AFL media, you'd swear that the Blues were were up and about in a finals threat. The amount of attention they've got. So yeah, I Blues. can't believe. So I cannot believe that Sam Walsh is being spoken about in Brownlow capacity, and therefore that that put him in all Australian, uh, you know, you know, discussion as well. And Callum Mills has had nothing. Uh, I just don't understand that. I know that Sam Walsh is, is showing great signs and and it's his third year or whatever. And he, but, but, I don't know. Have you watched him play? He, he gets around. He's, he's a fantastic he's a, player. But. He's a really good player. But, you know, I I think that there's a lot of really, really good players and it's I don't know how the media decides which ones to highlight. Like like another one that this year that's been given a lot of attention, like Darcy Parrish, he's had a great year, but everyone's all over him. Um but then you see someone like Mills, who's had a fantastic year, and no one seems bothered. But you know, that's um, that's how it goes. Our uh, motto is to fly under the radar and uh, still win the flag. Yeah, just to piss them off. I mean, we could, All right. we could easily be a top four team this year with no All Australian players. Think about that. Wowzers! Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. And Carlton's going to have two, and they're not going to make the finals. <laughs> There's something wrong with that, isn't there? Yeah. All right. Um, anyway, game. We'll... Yeah, we'll move on. Game three. <laughs> Fifth place Lions versus the 14th place Suns in the Q Clash at the Gabba on Saturday Twilight. Uh, it's got to be the Lions. Yeah, Brisbane. All right, game four, seventh place Eagles versus 11th place Saints at Optus. Saturday Twilight, Eagles, I think. Yeah, me too, Eagles. Although maybe Saints, I don't know. I picked the Roos against the Eagles last week, and of course the Eagles showed up anyway. Uh, they've, right. they've decided to restart season 2021 from this week, I think, or last week. <laughs> oh, they're just working off their own time zone. Yeah, All right, exactly. game five, 16th place Crows versus 17th placed uh, Hawks. Is that correct? I thought there was talk of a potential showdown. I guess. All right, let's yeah, just call it that. It didn't happen, but anyway. <laughs> okay, so it's it's a it's a bird. It's the Crows and the Hawks at Marvel on Saturday night. Um, I'm going to pick the Crows, but it should be a tight one. Yeah, I'm going to go Crows as well. But honestly, does anyone care? 16th versus 17th at this time of the year. <laughs> Game six, we've got the first place Ds, the Demons versus the second place Bulldogs at the MCG Saturday night. Uh, top of the table clash. I'm going Bulldogs. I'm going the Demons just because the Demons are kind of like the anti-Port. Port Adelaide beats everyone below them. And and the demons seem to lose to everyone in the bottom half of the eight, and they beat everyone good. So I reckon the demons are going to stick to their form of beating the good teams. Okay, well that would um that would put you in front because I think we're I'm one point up. But uh, anyway, I'll finish off here. Game seven, eighth place Bombers versus twelfth place Giants. Not sure where that's being played. It's probably going to be on Sunday. Um, I'm going to pick the Bombers. Yep, um, me too. Bombers. It's more than likely going to be in Victoria, though. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I have no idea where it's going to Okay. Be. Yeah, all right. All right. We'll let that one go. Game yeah. eight, we've got third place Cats versus ninth place Tigers at the MCG, the grand final replay Sunday at some point. The Cats, Dusty's out. Can the, can the dynasty do it? I think Geelong's looking pretty good. And interesting on this one, Geelong, because this game is going to be in front of nobody. It's a Geelong home game at the MCG. Um, 
and it's going to be played in front of an empty stadium. Geelong have requested to the AFL to have it moved to GMHBA, Cardinia Park in Geelong, and so far the AFL has said no. Listen, there's not many things I agree um, with Chris Scott on, but this is one that I fully agree with him. If, if Geelong wants to play their 11 home games in Geelong, why the bloody hell can't they? Yeah, and it's an empty just, stadium. I, like, there's no one there. Like, what difference does it make? You could play I don't it on, think it on should road. Even, like, even, even when there's a crowd, though, I, I yeah, I'm yeah, for sure, to totally. The fact, yeah. A, yeah, they shouldn't be made to pay for home games at the MCG just because they're a draw card, and the AFL makes money off them. I just think that that I don't want to support the Cats because they're doing good enough, you know, well enough as is. But yeah, there's one thing I fully agree on. But uh, anyway, all right. So you're, you're, I'm picking the cats. You're picking the cats. Yep, cats. All right. Last game of the round is our Swannies against the Dockers, and we're both going the Swans. So up the bloods. Good luck there to our boys. All right. Um, that brings us to the end of this episode. Have you got anything to add at this point, Steve? No, just keep it rolling, Swans. We're enjoying it, and we're enjoying, um, we're enjoying watching the journey. We certainly are. All right. Well, on behalf of the bevy, I'd like to say thank you very much for listening. We look forward to you joining us next time. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at A Bevy of Bloods for updates and announcements. Please also feel free to check out A Quick Bevy with Swans fans on YouTube and Spotify or wherever you check out your videos and podcasts. A Quick Bevy is a 10-minute weekly bonus series by a few of my fellow home game, well, no longer home game, but usually home game members from the O'Reilly stand, Chris and Brett, in which we take it in turns racing the clock to answer some Swans-related questions. Until then... Up the bloods and can you swanies?